Hi and welcome to the Scribbly English Cast. I'm your host, Natasha. And I'm your co-host, Phil. We're a pair of English teachers and each episode we'll be discussing some of the things that students find hard when studying for English exams. Each week we'll pick a new topic, so let us know if there's something you want us to cover. Our contact info will be at the end of the show. So today we're going to be talking about the things that people do wrong in essays. Essays are an interesting format because there is quite a lot of flexibility and creativity to them, but there's a lot of rules as well. And as teachers, both of us notice that there are certain mistakes that crop up that are just basically big no-nos. So we're going to go through a few of the key ones that we notice students doing today. And Phil is going to set us off with his first one about context. Yeah, thanks, Natasha. Um, so context, as we're aware, is is absolutely key. Um, texts, they don't make sense on their own unless you know a little bit about the world that they came from, um, the sort of things that were happening um, in the life of the writer, in the country of the writer, um, and indeed in, in the sort of the tradition that they were writing in. Um, so if you're writing an essay and you're trying to talk about the context of the text, then, you know, well done. Thank you for getting stuck into that. However, one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make all of the time is being unbelievably vague um, when they talk about context. Um, so an example of this might be anything involving the phrase back in the day. If at any point you feel tempted to use the phrase back in the day or in olden times or back then or in Shakespeare's days or something like that, then the chances are you're being unbelievably vague. Um, and you'd be surprised how many times I've seen people write phrases like um, back in Shakespeare's days before Martin Luther King, racism was really bad. So Othello probably would have found people being really mean to him. Um, now, it's not that that is 100% wrong, right? There, there is some truth to what's being said, and clearly somebody writing something like that is trying to engage with the fact that times have changed. However, without specifying what area you're talking about, what country you're writing about, um, it becomes unbelievably, I, I'm going to say unuseful, um, and it shows that you haven't really thought about what was actually going on in, in the writer's um, experience. So for me, as a hard and fast rule to kind of fix this one, um, unless you're able to say something about the specific decade and the specific country that the thing was written in, then probably just avoid um, talking about any sort of back in the day type situation. Right. So, for example, my my A-level um, English language students at the moment, they're having to learn loads of different theories um, about uh, how children learn to speak the English language. Um, now, they're regularly quoting uh, the work of Lev Vygotsky. Now, his work only really makes sense if you realise that he was writing in, in Soviet Russia, right? Um, and unless you factor in the fact that this is a writer, you know, doing his doing his work under deepest, darkest communism, um, then actually none of it makes any any sense, really. The, the conclusions that he reaches don't really fully come into focus. So mention the decade, mention the country, um, and the context comes into place. Don't ever use the phrase back in the day. That's my first mistake to avoid. Natasha, what do you think? 
Yeah, I definitely would second your pet hate of that. <laughs> I noticed that a lot of students kind of think that they need to skimp on context, especially GCSE, I think. I've noticed personally with a lot of my students that they know they have to get context in there. So it's somewhere in the back of their mind that they've got to comment on it, but they don't really know when or how or how much or what detail to go into. And I'd just like to add to your point that lots of detail in context is really important. So you don't want to just sort of vaguely mention something as a passing comment and then not really analyze it or properly integrate it into a paragraph. You need to sort of stay longer with it and spend some time unpicking why you chose to use that point. So you don't need loads of context points, you just need a few that make sense and a few that you can go into in detail. Yeah. So my next one, the one that I notice a lot all the time that people do is they talk about characters as if they're real. At first, this might sound a bit strange, like, uh, you know, obviously a character is not real, they're created, they're fictional. But in essays, people quite often forget that or they don't really see that that's a problem when they're analysing. So they might say Macbeth chooses to do this thing or Hamlet decided to do a particular thing about something. And if you don't understand that the characters are all created by the same person, the writer underneath that, then you're not going to analyse them properly because you're going to analyse them totally separately, like they're individual beings with their own decisions and thoughts, and then they're all the construct of a single writer. So instead of saying Macbeth does this, all you have to do is basically say Shakespeare constructs Macbeth in this way, or Shakespeare does this particular thing. I'm using Shakespeare because almost everyone studies him at some point, but obviously this applies to any character by any writer in any context. I work for an exam board called AQA, and I actually got called once by one of my senior examiners to specifically tell me the point that when they look at essays and a student is talking about characters as if they're real, that is an indication of a low-level essay grade. So if you're someone who's aiming for top marks and you actually do that, you want to stop because examiners are trained to think of that as a low-level thing to do. So yeah, I can't really stress <laughs> how important that is enough really for uh, making a good essay. What do you think about that one, Phil? Yeah, I mean, 100% agree. It's, it's a tough one as well, because if you're reading a good book, and if you really let yourself love literature in, in the way that it's supposed to be loved, the characters do become real for you. You know, the if, if you really submit yourself to a book like, say, you know, Wuthering Heights, then you're walking around the moors with these guys, you know, living life with them, and, you know, they're real to you. Um, and so... In, in many ways, it, it feels like, um, you know, a betrayal of the author by um, ultimately taking these characters into and, and describing them as, as constructs of, of, of symbolic representation and, and, and considering them to be conceits. Um, however, ultimately, that's, that's what our study is in, in English literature. It is um, kind of giving yourself that emotional distance from the, the events of a novel or a play um, or a poem. Um, and taking that sort of analytical uh, approach and, and start getting, you know, un under the surface of, of how these things work and, and the machinery of it. And you can't do that if you're at that sort of emotional ground level living life with the characters. You need to be, you know, sat next to the author, um, looking at the page with them, I suppose. 
which I think kind of brings me quite quite easily into um, my next point. A really common mistake, and you'll have been told this since your your very first literature essay. Yet somehow I still get A level students doing this. Um, they're in the exam hall um, for whatever reason. All their training and their conditioning goes out their head, and they decide what I should start doing at this point here is retelling the story of the novel or the play or whatever it is that I'm doing as if as if I've been asked to produce sort of the the Wikipedia plot section of, of this text now if you have written a sentence in which you describe what happens in the plot okay and then you get onto a second sentence and that's still what you're doing there's a pretty solid chance that you're doing something wrong okay um in any sort of I mean, we're we're not living in the days of coursework at the moment. I suppose some some English literature syllabuses still allow you to do those sort of like long form sort of coursework submissions, but the vast majority of GCSE and A level are entirely um, sort of short form examination questions, um, and so none of them are requiring you to at length retell or give a proce of of any of the stories. They're asking you to comment on technique, device. Um, effects on the audience, potential different critical readings, um, and so there just isn't the time and the space to be to be retelling the story. Um, and again, as as with Natasha's point, um, if you're retelling the story in great detail, it shows that you've not taken that um, you know that remove of um, you know not being there with the characters doing the stuff. You you need to be sat there as a as an expert critic. Um, so as a rule of thumb, um, have you used the author's name in a topic sentence in the first sentence of, of your paragraph? And have you referred to a technique that the author is using? If the answer is yes, then you're probably on the right track to discussing this in terms of what the author is doing what techniques the author is using, or the poet, or the playwright, okay? Um, if the first sentence of your paragraph is describing a thing that a character does, or is describing um, an event, or is paraphrasing the events of the, of the poem, if it's a narrative poem, then you're probably going down the path of, of this kind of narrative retelling thing. Now, the examiner doesn't need a narrative retelling of it, They've got access to Wikipedia and Sparknotes and, and all that kind of stuff, just as you do. What the examiner needs is to know how you've interpreted the techniques and the effects and, and the linguistic methods and, and all of that stuff like there. So make sure you've used the author's name and make sure you've referred to a technique that the author is using in that topic sentence. If you want to make absolutely sure that you're not just retelling and what you're actually doing is analyzing and, and getting under the surface. Uh, what do you think, Natasha? Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that, that one. I'd say that you don't always need a technique in your topic sentence necessarily, but definitely a focus on the writer in the topic sentence. It stops you from starting with evidence and it stops you from describing the story to begin with, which then will lead usually to more description in the rest of the paragraph. My rule when I teach it is that describe is answering the question what, whereas analyze is answering the questions how and why. So you can kind of check if you're not sure whether you're describing or analysing, just to sort of go back over what you wrote, look at your sentence or your paragraph and think, 
How many times am I answering the question what? The answer should be very minimally, if at all. And how many times am I answering how or why? And the answer should be a lot, if not most of the time. So yeah, definitely a huge difference. I personally used to describe loads and just tell the story because I, I didn't realize that you're not supposed to show your knowledge of the story that way. I don't really know why. I wasn't taught how to write essays properly at school. So my essays were a bit of a mess until I got to university. And uh, yeah, it was just like complete waste of time basically in my paragraph and it minimized the amount that I was analyzing. The analysis is the bit where you're actually showing your thoughts and your ideas, which is the thing that you get most of the marks for. So. You want to be doing that most of the time. So yeah, this kind of leads us on to our final point today, which we thought would work as an end to the whole podcast itself. So pointless conclusions is my final sticking point really with essays. We've actually had it a lot in classes where students come to me and they say, why do I have to write a conclusion? I don't really understand is a waste of time, especially if I'm in an exam. Is there any reason to repeat myself or to kind of just say what I thought again in a slightly different way in the conclusion? And I would say that a conclusion is as much a part of an essay as an introduction. You're not writing just random paragraphs of thoughts. You're trying to thread all of your ideas together with a thesis. The thesis starts in your intro. It needs to be explored in the middle and it needs to be properly reasserted in some form in the conclusion, especially the very best essays, I think, will start to actually modify or refine their thesis in the conclusion. So they're not just repeating what they thought in the intro as they've explored their ideas in the middle. They're then coming to a more sophisticated or advanced version of what their original thesis was. So for me, the best way to do a conclusion, really, I, I tend to do it myself while I'm in that editing phase. So I'll write my intro, write my middle paragraphs. Before I write the conclusion, I'll read back and kind of spell check and make sure I've not put commas in the wrong place, that kind of thing. As I'm doing that, I'll notice the bits that I'm actually really proud of in my essay that I thought demonstrated an interesting idea or an interesting, sophisticated response to the question. And I'll just take a bit of a mental note of those and then reiterate them in a quite condensed, restructured form in the conclusion. And then ideally modify the thesis as well. So not repeat it, but actually refine and develop it a little bit there. What do you think about conclusions, Phil? Do you have the same problem with your students? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the age-old thing, the exasperated student where I feel like you can... You can teach a sort of a main body paragraph in quite a solid, I, I, I don't know if formulaic is, is the right way, but there's definitely a checklist of things to be doing in a main body paragraph. Um, some people call it topic sentence evidence analysis. Sometimes people call it point quotation comment or PEE. You know, there's a million acronyms for it. Um, but introductions and conclusions, especially when you get to that high level, there are much more nuanced thing they're a much more expressive thing and there's something that sort of organically grows off what it is that you've created in in the rest of your essay um and so it's one of those ones where um you can't approach it in the same sort of formulaic way from from my perspective i, I feel like a conclusion needs to um organically grow although i mean there are a few sort of tips and tricks that i sometimes like to have up my sleeve 
for a conclusion. Um, and one of them is, um, I mean, before I enter the exam and before I even kind of start revising, I, I always like to have a clear idea in my head of what is it that makes this book worthy of study? And what is it that makes this sort of text worthy of the amount of contemplation that I'm going to be giving it and then the amount of contemplation that these examiners clearly gave before they put it on the thing? And if I can get to that kind of real, genuine, sort of honest, personal relationship with the text and a real kind of appreciation of of, of what the text means to, to me and the world, I, I'll kind of sometimes I'll save that for the conclusion. Um, I'll kind of save that. Um, I think so, for example, um, I recently had to study the text My Antonia by Willa Kaffer with um, uh, a couple of year 11 classes because it was on the, the Cambridge IGCSE syllabus. Um, and when I was sort of writing essays about it to kind of help show them, I found the conclusion naturally, like I, I naturally felt myself wanting to mention something about how this is a story written, you know, a um, hundred years ago about the the immigrant experience it was some people in what was then called bohemia uh, moving to um you know middle america and and, and facing all the, the hardships of, of working on a farm which is very much a story that speaks to to, to you know the, the modern american experience or very much kind of you know the, the modern um the modern world experience like you know immigration is the great story of, of the 21st century not just the the 20th and so, so i feel like conclusions are if you've reached that point of a relationship with the text, a conclusion is the point where where that can come to the surface and, and, and that sort of sense of you're not just mechanically working through picking the, the meat off the bones of a quotation. It's the point where you kind of emerge as, you know, a, a human being who's had the privilege of engaging with, with uh, you know, whichever human being it was that wrote the text that you've been studying. I don't know. Is, is that too wishy-washy, Natasha? What do you think? <laughs> no, I, I really like that. I've never actually thought about conclusions that way at all myself, but I think I'm going to start doing that now. It's, it's nice. It's really respectful to the writer and the fact that it's a work of literature and a piece of art. And I mean, all literature is about changing yourself as a human being or understanding humanity as a whole. So ending on some kind of grand sort of homage, <laughs> homage. I don't know how you say that word to the writer. It's a nice... Um, yeah, a nice way. It's kind of like a flourish at the ending. Definitely, I've noticed myself being someone who generally likes reading essays by other writers. And I do recommend if you're into literature and writing in general, you should read nonfiction essays by writers as well as the actual creative stuff that they write. Because it gives you real insight into how to construct an essay and it gives you a slightly different angle onto them as a person. But yeah, when I notice uh, really, you know, master craftsmen and craftswomen writing essays they always have some kind of interesting flourish and it's not like it's a conclusion to your essay in that moment but it's not a conclusion to the topic itself it's like an opening up of you know the potential for future study in that particular area that you've just been exploring so yeah it's a really nice way I think to think of it I feel like um I mean I don't know if it's too grotesque of an image to bring up but if you consider what you're doing as some sort of surgery or some sort of kind of you know cutting something open when when you analyze a text um when you're in the process of surgery you're not necessarily thinking of it as a person you're thinking of like a you know, series of like internal organs you're examining and all that kind of stuff whereas the conclusion 
everything's sewn back up again and you're addressing the text as a person you're you're looking at the the whole of it um having a kind of a a conversation with it whereas the the earlier parts it's it's a lot more kind of i suppose uh sanitized it's a lot more kind of mechanical um whereas it's the opening and the end is when you're allowed to kind of maybe have some sort of human and emotional uh response to the thing Yeah, I always think of essays as a scientific process because people always tell me there's like a huge difference between arts and sciences or English is like easy and science is hard. And for me, having been a writer for a science journal before, the process for writing a scientific publication is so similar to writing an essay for a humanities subject. And it is scientific. You're analysing, you're creating hypothesis and you need to kind of, like you say, sew it all up at the end, kind of summarise it. So... Yeah, I have have similar metaphors in my head, I think, for the concept of what an essay is. Um, Natasha, I feel like we've probably got a couple of minutes uh, left before we kind of hit our 30-minute mark. Are there any last-minute bonus mistakes that you want to point out to to student essayists out there? (laughs) There's so many. I think um, you'd probably have to do like a second podcast on it, but... Yeah, I think um, one of the main ones is enjoying the essay itself. It's not a horrible thing that school forces upon you. It's a chance for you to have a voice and to explore your thoughts on, on a you know work of art, a piece of literature. So try not to think of an essay like a chore or sort of like this horrible thing you have to do after you've enjoyed reading or studying. You have to then kind of formally write an exam on it. I, I don't really think of... Um, the fact that it's a formal exam when I'm writing an essay, I try really hard not to. Instead, I try to just kind of have a personal engagement and something that I really enjoy and that clicks with me. And if you have personal opinions, most exam boards, especially A-level and beyond, they're going to really look for something called a personal response. So they want you to be engaging intellectually and sort of emotionally and in your soul with whatever you're Uh, reading in that moment instead of it just being a box ticking exercise of oh this is the mark scheme this is what I need to get in it needs to feel like you've got some deep meaningful connection there so try and enjoy it is my my final one I think for the day what about you I think I suppose I would uh what I'm going to say is my advice would be do what Natasha just said um but also be careful how how much you enjoy it in the I've I've had a few experiences with people who they've just sort of discovered maybe George Orwell's essays or maybe Christopher Hitchens or Catelyn Moran or Zadie Smith. They get to that level and they see these people who really are having a lot of fun at a high level and they're publishing these amazing witty essays in The New Yorker. And so they try to sort of take on that sort of um, that sort of funny uh, having a having a joke with the audience whilst talking about some serious things. Um, now, there is absolutely a place for that. And, you know, if, if you totally go down that path and I've, I've had a few young people do those sort of almost sort of comedic essay voices um, that they've seen, you know, successful magazine essayists do. You've probably got a one in, let's say, 100 chance that if you do that stuff in an essay, you'll get that one examiner that goes, yeah, this is exactly what I'm looking for in an essayist. Um but you do also entirely run the risk that it will, will come across as being sort of flippant or glib or, or sort of not have the necessary kind of rigor. Um, so I think have fun, find your voice, absolutely um, 
you know put some of your soul into it but if you find uh that you're wanting to address your your reader as if you kind of have like a sort of a long informal friendship um then maybe just pull it back <laughs> a little bit from there until at the very least you've got your kind of your first sort of um, internship at whatever magazine it is that that you want to write for and and then in that point absolutely let that side of you uh side of you free but i mean natasha you've got a lot more experience being an examiner than i do um what, what do you think I think there's a, a slight misconception that um, essay marking is as subjective as people seem to think it is. Like, I, I think that's one of the reasons that people get put off English because they they have this idea that, you know, there's a right and a wrong answer for everything and any kind of humanities subject, including English, doesn't have that, um, you know, cut off point where this is a valid or invalid interpretation. But I always think of it as there's a, a sliding scale of possible things you can do. So I think you can be a bit experimental and playful in an essay and do really well. But you sort of have to show that you deserve that. Like you kind of earn the right to be experimental after you tick all the boxes first. So if you're just kind of off the wall and writing whatever you you know pops into your head and you don't really have any respect for the form of an essay or what it's supposed to do, then it's going to go really wrong very quickly. But if you have learnt, you know, the, the craft of essay writing, you can then be masterful and playful at the same time and sort of start to break out of the formulaic structure of an essay and kind of experiment a bit more. But it only works if you've got that knowledge as a, a starting point. If you don't have that, then you don't really deserve to to break the boundaries of the form, if that makes sense. That's, my, that's the way that I see it personally anyway. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I think the the process of understanding literature only works by people saying controversial things but then also being able to kind of back them up and like have that kind of contrarian take um just saying something controversial or saying something provocative on its own is usually just proof that you can be provocative but if you can do that with all the brilliance and diligence and rigor of of the best essayists then then go for it um i think we've probably uh wandered about as, as, as far to the edges of the topic as we uh, possibly can for this particular episode. So that's probably our point to start wrapping things up. Yeah, yeah, it's been really interesting, actually. It's nice to talk about it because you kind of have all these ideas in your head about what you're looking for when you mark an essay, but to just kind of have some really pure thoughts down, uh, it's been really interesting. I really enjoyed it, just kind of exploring it from my own point of view, and hopefully listeners have enjoyed it as well found it quite useful okay so that's about all we have time for today if there's anything you'd like us to cover in future episodes then please drop us an email at scribblyschool at gmail.com that's s-c-r-b-b-l-y school at gmail.com and if you're looking for that little bit of extra help preparing for your english exams in literature or language then check out our courses too at scribbly.com. That's S-C-R-B-B-L-Y.com. Goodbye from me and good luck with those exams. And goodbye from me. See you next time.